Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brand. And on this episode, we're going to get into some avant-garde proletariat rock with SST 240, the Mofungo Work album. Man, I gotta admit, I really enjoyed this record this week. I'm not sure that I would have if it was SST 10, <laughs> but as uh, episode 240, I really got into it. And to make it even better, Brent, we have a special guest. Yeah, we've got Mafungo guitarist Willie Klein on the show. Yeah, great to have Willie on and give us some insight into what the heck is going on with this very cool record. Now, before we get into some spiels, by the time this episode airs, everyone will have found out that we lost a very major presence in the SST story, and that is one Mr. Spot has unfortunately passed away recently, which is a, a huge blow to paraphrase Mike Watts' words when he uh, he reported the, the unfortunate news. Yeah, uh, by the time this posts, it'll, the news will be a week old, and um, you know, the tributes are already pouring in, you know, we'll, I'm, I'm sure there will be many more to come in the in the week before this posts. But yeah, it happened yesterday, um, the day before we're recording this. Um, you know, obviously he looms large in the SST catalog, um, Black Flag, Saccharin Trust, The Meat Puppets, St. Vitus, Descendants, Subhumans, The Dicks, mm -hmm. on and on and on. Um, you know, just from doing this show, I've gotten to be friends with a lot of SST alum and man what an outpouring it, it's just so clear he was loved and respected um, we came close to having him on the show a few times and recently he actually reached out to us to um, ask if we wanted to use some of his archival interviews for the show apparently he he told me he has hours and hours of taped interviews with SST artists conducted by him yeah sadly neither happened you know, it, he ended up falling ill. Uh, this, to me, just again highlights the urgency of continuing to document this stuff and and the artists. I don't just mean us; we're not the be all end all of SST no, no, no. or whatever. I just mean, generally speaking, even outside of SST, there is just so much important uh, artistic material that that is under documented. You know, and it got me thinking also about Spots Archive. Hopefully. You know, like he was also a prolific writer, photographer, a recording artist in his own right, uh, like a fantastic musician. Um, hopefully that stuff's going to be preserved for, for posterity. Um, condolences to all of his, his friends and family, for sure. Totally. That is one thing that has come out in the tributes of late that uh, is really easy to forget about Spot. He wasn't just a legendary producer. He yeah. was He was so much more. So definitely dig into spot and you know we have been in touch with him as his health was failing i think we kind of just backed off you know and, and i think that that made sense but i did spiel a number of episodes ago about a note i got from spot and i thought if i could i would uh, read it again yeah yeah so this is uh probably about a year ago I was emailing spot about i wanted to get the uh, the sequel of sorts to his his uh, amazing photo book, Sounds of Two Eyes Opening. This book here, Anti-Punk Rock, A History, Text and Photos by Spot. Now this, as I understand it, contains writings in it that were going to form uh, potentially some, some form of a memoir mm -hmm. of Spot. Didn't get around to putting it out, but did put out this book, Anti-Punk Rock, A History, 
he mentioned when I reached out to him at first instance that he wasn't really feeling well. So I, I didn't really pursue it, but he did get back to me and did hook me up with this book. And he knew that we were trying to get him on the show as a guest, uh, but we weren't really pursuing it at that time. Um, but he did write this in the book. It says, Ryan, this Mojack guy, does he know what he's talking about or do I need to talk to him? Spot. And I'm pretty sure that he reached out to you after he sent that to me to offer to uh, to share those interviews. And, uh, and hopefully, just like the Naomi Peterson archive, uh, someone will pick that up for Spot and do it justice as well. Yeah, hopefully. Now, Brent, I actually have a few spiels. Do you mind if I go first this week? Yeah, go for it, man. Okay, and I got to do a bit of a makeup session here. I had uh, a spiel last week on books, and two have already come out, or that I failed to mention. One is a new book by Steve Turner of Mud Honey, Monkey Wrench, Green River, of course. It's called Mud Ride, A Messy Trip Through the Grunge Explosion. 272 pages on Prism Books out in June. That one's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Got to get that one. I and did not I, know about that. Yeah, yeah. New Steve Turner book coming out. Also coming out that I missed last week is a new book by Glenn E. Friedman, Just a Minor Threat. It's coming out on Akashic Books. Looks awesome. You know, a, another book focused on a band, but this one on Minor Threat, just like, you know, his Fugazi one before, Black Flag one. Now we got a Minor Threat one. This is going to be amazing. New Mud Honey record coming too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for that. Yeah. Now for my, my second spiel... I wanted to do something a little bit different, Brent. I wanted to talk about solid-state tuners, okay? i.e. SST Electronics. Remember SST Electronics? Of course I do. Yeah, predecessor to SST Records. Now, speaking of preserving history and archiving, I wanted to get some SST Electronics history for myself. Okay. And so I ordered a magazine off of eBay. This is the March 1978 edition of Ham Radio Magazine. And it's the 10th anniversary issue, by the way. Wow. And the reason I ordered it is because it has a an advertisement. Or is it is it advertisement? Advertisement? Which is it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, it has it has an advertisement in it for SST Electronics. Okay. Because I thought it was a cool I, I stumbled across it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably put that up on my wall. Too cool, right? Anyways, check out what it says about the SST T1 random wire antenna tuner. Okay, all band operation with any random length of wire, ideal for portable or home operation. Great for apartments and hotel rooms. Simply run a wire inside, out a window, or any place available. Attractive bronze finished enclosure, only thirty bucks, twenty nine ninety five. Huh. Then there's the the SST T two Ultra tuner, not just the normal wire antenna tuner. This is the Ultra tuner. Increases usable bandwidth of any antenna. Rugged yet compact. That one's forty nine ninety five. And then there is the SST T three impedance transformer. Matches 52 ohm coax to the lower impedance of a mobile whip or vertical. Also has attractive bronze finish. 12 position switch with taps spread between 3 and 52 ohms. That one's only 20 bucks. And all SST products are guaranteed for one year. 
In addition, they may be returned within 10 days for a full refund, less shipping, if you are not satisfied for any reason. P.O. Box 1, Lawndale, California. Maybe one of those would have been assembled by the Spotinator even. Exactly. If you ordered it. Exactly. (laughs) Are you going to be like a radio jammer now, Ryan? Well, no, it's just a magazine, man. It's just an ad. It's just an ad. But but just wait. Just wait, okay? Okay. Because I ordered that magazine. I wanted a piece of SST electronics history, but that ain't nothing. Check out what came in this package, okay? Yeah. Just, just wait. Check this out. Dated February 22nd, 2023. Hi, Ryan. I'm going to randomly assume that you're the same Ryan from You Don't Know Mojack. My clues being Canadian SST fan, your name. If so, I got to say, man, I'm a big fan. I usually listen to your show while running around midnight in Chicago, and it always gives me a laugh and great insight on records that I've already loved and have learned to love. I was born in 73 and bought anything SST from 87 until 90 or so. And got burned a few times on some of the more adventurous titles. I also worked at Sub Pop for a spell, modern era, and grew up in Cleveland. So it's always cool to hear y'all spiel about that town. I've tossed in the hard-to-find My War lyric sheet. No way. A a friend recently sent me two. If you are not that, Ryan, my apologies, Derek. (laughs) Amazing. So that's amazing, right? Who is Derek, though? Derek was in a band called uh, Beauty Pageant. They've got a great record from 98 called Magic by Error on uh, user music. It's kind of lo-fi, K-record stuff. He was also in a band called Cruel, Cruel Moon. Their Still Life CD on Moonbase Records from 96 is uh, similar. Uh, Very cool record, worth checking out. Derek's also a painter, though, like an artist, legit artist, Check out uh, his work at DerekErdman.com, D-E-R-E-K-E-R-D-M-A-N.com. But wow, that is just some random SST magic, I would say, that uh, <laughs> Derek connected a, a couple of dots. And boy, um, I'm super grateful. Thank you for that, Derek. And since Derek likes spiels about Cleveland... I got an edition of New Tunes with a Cleveland spinoff in it, okay? Okay. All right. And I'm going to do a seven on the SS tree. Ready? Yeah. Am I ever. Okay. Here we go. New Tunes with a Cleveland uh, kind of spinoff, all right? Mm -hmm. Number one, Sam I Am has a new record, Stowaway, on Pure Noise Records. They're ninth. They're last since 2011's Trips on Hopeless. I'm a lifer when it comes to Sam I Am. I'm all in on this new stowaway record. Can't wait to get that. Tree People, Guilt, Regret, Embarrassment. This is a deluxe 2LP reissue on K Records out in May. This was originally on Toxic Shock, but now it's a double LP with uh, singles and comp tracks. That's going to be amazing. Live Skull have a new record out called Party Zero out in May. Um, and you actually just mentioned Live Skull the other day when you tipped me off to Rich Hutchins' other band, Art Grey Noise Quintet, which I have checked out. Deadly. Awesome. Uh, this Live Skull record, it's a follow-up to 2019's Saturday Night Massacre and 2020's Dangerous Visions on Bronson Recordings. 
I love those uh, two most recent Live Skull records. I bet you this one's going to be great also. Jawbox are finally releasing their uh, revisionist EP in a physical form. It was originally like in uh, a three-song digital EP, I think, like technically out on Discord. This physical uh, version is out on Arctic Rodeo Recordings. Same as that Live in Chicago 2LP that came out recently for Jawbox. So cool. Can't wait to hear that. Um, now, let's get to Cleveland for a second here. Um, and when I'm talking about Cleveland, I'm going to blend that with Akron, okay? I have to. Yep. Um, so, Perubu has got a new record coming out, Trouble on Big Beat Street. This is their last since the long goodbye four years ago. This one out on Cherry Red. I am always going to check out some Perubu. There's always something good there. A few episodes ago, we mentioned this band, The Dark, from Cleveland. And not, not The Dark from the UK, who I also like, but this is The Dark from Cleveland and Scat Records. And so happy to have Scat back and re-releasing uh, records, whether it's Guided by Voices or My Dad is Dead, but they are putting out a dark collection called Dressing the Corpse. This is actually out this month in March. If you don't know the dark, they ranged all over the place from like hardcore metal, death rock. This is going to be available for the first time on vinyl altogether with unreleased tracks. Very cool to get that. You can pre-order it now on Scat Records. And while we're in Cleveland, I want to mention uh, four of my favorite records. But first, Brent, I need you to take me to a comp zone. The comp zone. <laughs> you just cut me off with the comp zone? Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. Anyways, I want to make this good. This is a good comp zone one for Derek here, okay? So uh, my favorite Cleveland slash Akron comps. Uh, people want to take a deep dive. Uh, obviously, there is like some amazing, amazing music from that region. And uh, certainly when you go back to the 70s and 80s, uh, which these comps tend to cover, there is, of course, the Cleveland Confidential record. This was originally out on Terminal Records in 82. I have the re-release on Superior Viaduct from 2020. You got to get that one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Cleveland Confidential one has got tra a track by The Dark on it. Also, the Offbeats, Pagans. This one... They pelted us with rocks and garbage. This has got Spike in Vain, The Offbeats, The Dark Again, Death of Samantha. This one's actually pretty easy to get, like even uh, an original copy. And that one came out on After Hours Records in 85. Now, of course, Soul Jazz has put out this 2LP comp, Extermination Nights in the Sixth City, Cleveland, Ohio, Punk and the Decline of the Midwest, 75 to 82. This uh, 2LP comp has got, you know, the Pagans, Perubu, Rocket from the Tombs, the Human Switchboard on here. That's a cool comp. And then, of course, you, uh, you definitely need some rubber tire scented compilations while you're at it. The uh, Akron <laughs> comp out on Stiff Records. Um, this one has got some very cool bands on it, like uh, the Bizarros, of course. And uh, you can actually find this one pretty easily these days even now but tin huey the rubber city rebels four great comps for that region cleveland akron and then i just went and picked off my shelf it was just the first one that i came across uh the akron sound this mm -hmm. book mm -hmm. the heyday of the midwest's punk capital by uh calvin ridbaum definitely check out that book on the history press so there's a bit of a cleveland 
Akron diversion for Derek. Now I got to get to seven on the SS tree though, okay? Jeez, man. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. Here we go. Um, I also, I already mentioned recently the new Trotsky Ice Pick EP rules for future living. Uh, but also coming out soon in uh, in April on Record Store Day, I've got four on the SS tree. Uh, Watt and Mullins are putting out a uh, another Stooges tribute seven inch TVI on ORG. I heard in an interview with Watt that all of these ORG Watt and Mullins singles are going to be eventually compiled mm. as well onto a single LP. So keep your eye out for that. Also out on record store day is a Husker do tonight at the Longhorn double LP on reflex records. This is rare early Husker do live recordings compiled by Terry Katzman. Check that one out. Speaking of Elliot Sharp, who uh, is going to come up on this episode, Shambella, William Hooker duets with Thurston Moore and Elliot Sharp originally released in 94 on knitting factory records is getting the re-release treatment on ORG as a double LP for record store day as well. And then finally for record store day, there are probably others on the SS tree. These are just the ones that caught my attention while uh, flipping through their list off F L S D E P off has got an eight song B side EP coming out on fat possum records for record store day with Pettibone cover art and if you love the new off record you're gonna love this and then you'll also like this one that is also on the ss tree blast manic ride this is going to be out on southern lord as we know when covering take the manic ride that release on our show they don't have the masters they were lost but similar to prior southern lord blast reissues this is called a revisionist version and they've uh, basically done some work to it to make it sound heavier i haven't heard anything about it but i'm excited to check it out because again i was uh super pumped at the time when we did the blast take the manic ride because i think they totally went off on that record brand totally the new artwork well it's not new but it's kind of souped up artwork looks amazing too I know, right? And then finally, Brent, number seven on the SS tree for this week, the Westies are back. (laughs) You just scooped my two of my spiels. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, dude. Run, Westie, run. Their first release since 2017's Christy Casino single and their first album in 32 years called Beyond Reason. Go and check that one out. What did you find out about that release, Brent? Uh, just, you know, uh, well, I've listened to it. It's, it's great. You know, um, obviously the guitar playing from Craig and Terry is, is just spot on. Kirk's vocals sound just as good as the SST twin tone era. I thought it was great. I, you know, I only got a chance to listen to it once, but, uh, definitely going to be listening to it some more and just great songwriting. I think for longtime fans, probably, well, definitely super welcome. Um, they've been playing a lot of these songs, I think live for, for quite some time now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Only a CD and digital version, but hopefully, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get a vinyl edition at some point. Yeah. I was going to mention that and the, the blast record as well. Um, both look, you know, that blast looks super cool. And if you, I think if you order it direct from the website, you can get a reissue of the schools out single as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. But that's all I got, Brent. I know I went on for uh, a while. No, so, no. Uh, you... <laughs> take it away, my friend. I thought maybe, like, are you quitting the show, Ryan? Like, you just had to get all those spiels out and before you quit. You know what? 
you know what though? I, I kind of did have to get them off my uh, my plate because I'm worried that they're going to gather too much dust and they're going to be old news because I've got like a zillion other spiels I want to get to. So yeah, sorry for cramming it all in there. Yeah, no problem. I was just, as you were talking, Ryan, I was just laughing to myself because I was literally just listening to this double comp called uh, Cleveland Squawks. Have you ever heard of oh, this? No, what's that? So check this out. I just I was just listening to this. It's sitting right beside me here. It's a it's a double CD comp. It came with a magazine. I didn't get it with a magazine. I just bought it used. But the packaging's pretty light on on information. But check this out here. I'm just going to name some of the bands here: Roller Coaster, The Back Monkeys, The Downside Special, Ugly Beauty, Satan Satellites, The Revelers, Einstein's Secret Orchestra, Gem. We've talked about them before. Quasimodo. My Dad is Dead is on here, Ryan. Mysterious Ways. Yeah, yeah. It's the song. Codeine, Ditch, The Aggravators, New Salem Witch Hunters. I have a few of their records. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because um, they're on Get Hip. Home and Garden Chump, Red Giant, Biblical Proof of UFOs, Duvalby Brothers, Disengage, Craw, Ryan. Oh, nice. Puff Tube. And check this out, Ryan. Cruel, Cruel Moon has three songs on here. <laughs> <laughs> Derek's band. Yeah. Nice. So okay, well, this is hopefully this blows your mind a bit, Derek, while you're running around Chicago uh, at midnight. Yeah. Okay, uh, Ryan, here, here's what I have. I'll just make this quick, uh, very quick podcast shout out. Derek Bostrom was recently on this podcast called Dope Nostalgia. I guess it's a podcast about 90s music or something. Uh, the host is Naomi Carmack, and uh, she's actually from Dedmonton, Alberta. So that's interesting. Derek was on her most recent episode and I think she asks like one question and then he just totally takes over. <laughs> like he could give Watt and Biafra <laughs> a, a run for their money. Uh, anyways, he mentions and, and he, like he's talking a mile a minute. So don't quote me on any of this because like I, I could have my facts wrong here on, on some of this, but because he just breezes through it so fast. But he mentions that their current label Megaforce is reissuing like 10 Pops albums. Like wow. all the SST era material on vinyl, no on vinyl, including in a car on seven inch, uh, live in Montana, I believe he said is being expanded to a double LP. And there's also a new live album coming out, which I think he says is just called from previous live shows. And it's all covers of the meat puppets doing country songs. Hmm. like covers and it's called campfire songs or something like that um so yeah keep a an eye out for some pops action in 2023 wow uh and then ryan uh just a few other things real quick uh decibel magazine hold on i have to grab it here um issue 220 from february 2023 for their hall of fame entry inducted dinosaur juniors are you're living all over me oh wow so no way as is the rule for Hall of Fame inductees for Decibel, uh, all three members had to participate in this, which they did. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, Ryan, a few weeks ago, I, I mentioned this little nug about um, when we were in the Henry Kaiser episode, we were talking about Relics Records and that band Dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. And how they had a release on uh, on Relics Records. And, and I'll just read you uh, this part here about... Um, so they say, shortly after the release of the album, the band was forced to change its name to Dinosaur Jr. following a lawsuit by representatives of the San Francisco band Dinosaurs. How did you hear about that? Here's Jay. 
I got a letter from Barry Melton, a.k.a. The Fish, from Country Joe and the Fish. (laughs) (laughs) It was from his office on Haight Street in San Francisco. They wanted us to cease and desist using the name Dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) Although they were the dinosaurs and we were dinosaur, I guess that wasn't different enough under legal terms. So I came up with the idea of adding the junior and they thought that it was an all right compromise. I guess it worked out well for the internet age because it's definitely a more specific name than dinosaur. It's easier to find us in online searches. Babu. Yeah. Here's Murph. We were in San Francisco and this old cranky hippie guy came up to me and was all like, you weren't at Woodstock. You're too young. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you're right, we weren't there. And he was like, well, I came to the show thinking it was going to see the dinosaurs. We didn't know anything about that band. It was a bunch of guys who were connected to the Grateful Dead and Moby Grape and the whole hate Ashbury scene. When we got home from tour, we got a letter from the law firm that was run by one of the guys from the band. I thought it was really funny. We added the junior to our name as a joke. When we sent them a letter proposing that, they were ecstatic. They viewed it as a tribute, like we wanted to be a mini version of their band. Yeah. Here's Lou. I was probably at Jay's house or his parents' house. It was like, oh, the fish wants to sue us? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Coincidentally, many years later, I was in San Francisco and staying over at this couple's loft. They were these older, aging hippie types, and they were hoarders. They showed me a pile of posters and and invited me to take whatever I wanted. Right on the top of the pile, there was a poster of the dinosaurs announcing the release party for their debut album, so I took it. Nice move. They ask, is there a story behind the album's title? You're living all over me? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think think we kind of covered it in uh, the episode, but it'd be interested to hear what the recent explanation is yeah well lou kind of talks about um how they would use expressions that their friend group said in in lyrics and stuff like that um i think it was jay admonishing murph for doing something while we were in the van and i sort of sarcastically commented oh you're living all over me that's kind of the way i felt with jay sometimes he gave me the impression that my mere presence was too much for him He has expressed this about a lot of people. Even when I first met him, he had a poster on his wall of Linus from Peanuts, and the caption said, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) As I got to know Jay, it totally made sense. I've never met anybody that was so outspokenly disgusted by other people. And then just real quick, the, the article ends with, um, it says, you've been reunited for 17 years, much longer than the original incarnation of Dinosaur Jr. What has it been like revisiting material from this difficult era as adults? And, and Jay says, these were the songs that made our sound. This is considered to be our best album. So we tend to play all of those songs in our sets. But I also personally think it's our best album and I always have. So I'm happy to still be mm. playing that material. Interesting. Who's on the cover of that issue, by the way, Brent? Obituary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure You're Living All Over Me is their best album, but I mean, I don't know. Did they have a stinker? Probably not. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. They're one of those bands, man. Amazing. Of course, the definitive text on the album is is the 33 and a third book by Nick Atfield, but um, this is kind of a cool supplement to that, so check that out. Yeah, I'd agree. 
Real quick, Ryan, this guy, Chris Carey, got a hold of me. Speaking of people who uh, listen to us, he, he he's a driver and <laughs> for a living, and he listens to our podcast while he's driving around L.A. He um, was involved in that L.A. pirate radio station. Oh, where Watt got his start? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, K, KFPS. Uh, he, was, he went by the name uh, DJ Rocky Manson, and uh, he was super pumped about our, our mention of that book, 40 Watts from Nowhere. Mm-hmm. He mentioned to me that this radio station, KBLT, run by Susan Carpenter, a.k.a. Paige Jarrett, is being um, like rebooted. Whoa. And uh, they've got Watt on board. Can we go on it? Yeah, maybe we should. Did you ask? Did you ask? No, I didn't. But Watt's going to be, Watt's confirmed for his original time slot on Fridays, 8 to 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be streaming like the comeback or something on, on Mixcloud. Maybe it all is. I'm not, I'm not too yeah. sure about that, but should be some more information coming soon. Keith Morris is going to be doing a show. Bob Forrest has signed on for, for a show. And a lot of the original DJs are, are going to be coming back. So that's oh, super cool. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't mean to laugh so hard that Watt's getting his original time slot. I just no, think... No, that, it's awesome. I think that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Should we get into this Mofungo record? Yeah, man. History lesson, part one. Hey, Brent, before we start talking about this record, how bad do you want this My War lyric sheet well i want a photocopy of it (laughs) yeah i can't wait to to put it like securely inside my fringe products version of my war oh my god that's gonna be so good all right mofungo this is our second and i believe last episode that we have uh mofungo on is that right yeah another band that we're not going to see anymore yeah we had them on episode 191 for the bugged LP and we had Robert Sitsuma as a guest and then we're here at work and of course there is a huge story though behind Mofungo we're really just touching on it uh, very briefly relatively speaking on two episodes go back to 191 uh, if you want to get a bit more history there but uh, Brent where should we go for this episode and of course we have to also mention Elliot Sharp was a, a big presence with this group too, right? Yeah. Well, I'll just give a, a, a short recap. We get really into the, the history of the band with Robert, so I'm not going to do that here. But uh, Mofungo was an art rock band from New York City, most closely associated with the no wave scene, but post no wave, I would say. Like to me, they kind of stand apart as well. Kind of like, you know, what we were saying about Trotsky last week being associated with the Paisley underground bands. There's similarities, but I personally think of them as kind of being outsiders of the, of that scene. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. They're one of these super underdocumented SST bands. Also, also a bit of an anomaly in the catalog in that they released several albums before their two on SST and none of, none of them were reissued on SST, which was often the case as we saw last week with Trotsky and we'll be seeing next week with Pell-Mell. Yeah. And they had put out a couple of singles too, right? Yep. There is also a great piece on them on the Perfect Sound Forever website called The Inside Story of Mofungo by Robert Sitsuma. Um, they released five albums and some singles uh, previous to um, Bugged, which was their SST debut on labels like Twin Tone and its subsidiaries Coyote and Lost, uh, Rough Trade, uh, also Elliot Sharp's Zor label. Mm-hmm. They evolved out of the group Blinding he- Headache, another 
a kind of group associated with No Wave featuring guitarist Willie Klein. Jim Posner of Blinding Headache uh, was for a while a member of Mofungo, as were others such as A.C. Chubb, Seth Gunning, and Jeff McGovern. We go through the whole history in detail on the Bugged episode, uh, but really the mainstays of the band were Robert Sietzma on bass, Willie Klein on guitar, and by 1985's awesome Frederick Douglass LP, Elliot Sharp was producing and playing with them, and Chris Nelson was was in on drums, and that's kind of the the era we're talking about, the lineup. It was that lineup, Robert, Willie, Chris, and Elliot, that recorded their next four records, and arguably their best, uh, and most well-known. As Robert says in the Perfect Sound Forever piece, the band practiced twice a week for almost their entire run, but Elliot would only come if they had a gig or a recording session. Uh, Elliot was like the only professional musician in the band, right? Elliot was definitely the connection to SST, and he says in this piece, um, they advanced the group $3,000 for each of the two records. On um, the separate Dave Lang uh, Perfect Sound Forever piece on S- on the history of SST, yeah. he says about Mofongo, a post-No Wave New York jitterpop combo of sorts. They released two fantastic L- LPs on SST in the late 80s, Work and Bugged. Both quite an impressive synthesis of fallish, stumble, no-wave, art-skronk, and Minutemen-type jive. Mm-hmm. Their, Agreed. Their earlier LPs on the Lost label, run by Mofungo's Chris Nelson, and also home to his other excellent combo, The Scene Is Now, are also well worth searching out. Elliot Sharp's best work, says I. On Mofungo? That's what... That's what Dave Lang says. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I didn't, I missed that. That's, that's a pretty bold statement. Yeah. So, um, uh, Willie sent me a, a press kit for, I think it's messenger dogs of the gods or uh, Frederick Douglass. I'm not sure which it's, it's before SST, but there's some interesting stuff in here that just to get a, get an idea about what some people were saying about, about Mofongo in live reviews and record reviews from that era. Because I find their sound difficult to to pin down for me. You didn't like my my calling it avant-garde proletariat rock? No? <laughs> well, yeah, there's definitely people calling it that for sure. Um, here's from Steve Anderson from this article. I'm not sure where. He says, Politics, perseverance, lack of presentation. There is a temptation to enshrine them with the weavers as another do-no-wrong group that knows how to flush out the flannel shirt and cat hair crowd. <laughs> what <laughs> the flannel shirt and cat hair crowd i guess so yeah who's that i don't know <laughs> but pin well this is pre-grunge so he's not referring to grunge flannel i don't know uh <laughs> maybe jazz snobs or something i that actually sounds probably right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but pinpointing mofongo's constituency isn't that easy too urban and noisy for post-hippie cachet, too friendly and underdressed for Rivagosh on St. Mark's Cool. They come closest to a left-leaning 1930s populist spirit. Mofungo's musical style seems adverse to their purpose. Social statements should be, if anything, straightforward, but actually the music and politics are crucially linked. With the same optimism that Jonathan Richmond used to interpret the Velvets, Mofungo reads the assaults of New York's No Wave, Mars, DNA, Teenage Jesus, as liberating gestures. 
Beyond music and explicit message, what draws me most strongly into the album is the feeling I mentioned, a memory of days when mewling guitars evoked the East Village in all its seedy benevolence. Here's uh, Robert Palmer, actually, in the New York Times talking about a triple bill with the Feelys, Mofungo, and Yola Tango. Wow. That's a, that, that bill actually makes sense. Yeah. Mofungo preceded the Feelys with a brief set that ranged from tight, angular guitar funk to folksy sing-alongs. This is a band with a carefully thought-out political and moral stance, and the short set didn't really do them justice. It did show that the downtown composer Elliot Sharp, who joined Mofungo relatively recently, is an exceptionally strong lead guitarist and saxophonist. Yola Tango, the quartet that opened the show, is a pop rock band in the tradition of Big Star and the mid-1960s Kinks. They didn't really seem very confident, but they haven't yet found an identity that's indisputably their own, something to help them stand out amid the current glut of guitar bands. That sure changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, here's from an article by Mark Derry in a some in a magazine or something called Outfront. It's called Mofungo, Let's Get Clerical. Wanted World Beat Experimental <laughs> <laughs> World Beat Experiment Experimentalist Rockers Who Can Type Fifty Words Per Minute. Um Mofungo make and I'm just pulling pieces out of this here. Mofungo Make music that's as gnarled and naughty as Keith Richards' arteries. It's music that'll put bees in your blood, music that mixes skiffle hijinks, Marxist philosophy, and post-no-wave fret-banging. More than anything, it's mofungo music. We're naive musicians, insists bassist Robert Sietzema. We don't use written scores. We consciously don't pay a lot of attention to traditional chord structures. We just do it, like friends getting together and goofing off. The early no-wave bands showed people like us that you don't have to have years of musical training, that anyone can pick up nearly any instrument, and with enough application, play something that's interesting. They compare them here to, um, Mark Derry compares them to uh, Led Zeppelin, West African Music, Captain, Beefheart, The Fall, The Minutemen, and Per Ubu. And then there's the way the band members play, with sort of a jangly, jittery jump and jive that defies gravity. Asserts drummer, guitarist, Chris Nelson. Willie Klein, who's the main guitar player in the group, has always used a unique style that involves a lot of unusual chording and an odd combination of lead rhythm playing that is neither one nor the other. It's a very innovative style, and Robert's bass playing has, has taken a different tack than most. He doesn't play the standard rock and jazz riffs. He plays little melodic patterns, and that is very true. Mm -hmm. It definitely, you know, uh, influences the, the songs, I would say, the, the style of bass playing. Here's from Option Magazine by Bob Sled, and this is a review of the Frederick Douglass album. Groove rock, gnarled and twisted by long-term exposure to La Cieda, art slum damage. Patched together with broken strings from a no-wave guitar and filtered through a jelly jar political lens. Some solid funk underpinnings, some nervous, insinuating vocals, and some far-out saxophone from producer Elliot Sharp. Rock and roll for smart people, critics, hipsters, and the politically correct. And here's another review, um, not sure from where. The group is as radical, lyrically and musically, as ever, even if they do often sound a bit like early talking heads. With elements of jazz, no-wave, 
Noise, Calypso, and Funk. Good production by Elliot Sharp. So, I don't know, just uh, interesting to see, you know, how people were writing about Mofungo and categorizing them. Yeah, trying to categorize the uncategorizable. Yeah. Well, kind you, of? well yeah, we'll we'll see when we get to these when we go through the tracks here. I had a really hard time. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's hard to write down any comments on them. Mm-hmm. Should we toss it over to Willie? Yeah. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Willie Klein. Willie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's go all the way back to the start. Are you a native New Yorker? Well, I was born on Long Island, so is that a, a native New Yorker? I guess so. I, I... <laughs> you would know better than me. <laughs> uh, well, New York suburbs. I've lived in New York, though. I've lived in the city since 1975. It's a long time. Yeah. When did you start playing guitar? Well, I started playing guitar when I was 10. You know, uh, grew I grew up in the 60s and... Wanted to play guitar. Who inspired you to play guitar? The Beatles? Oh, yeah. Beatles, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I mean, all the, I mean, I, uh, like I say, I was, uh, I'm a child of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Were you playing in bands, like as a teenager? Um, Yeah, some garage bands. I mean, not that Mafunga was much more than a garage band, but yes, uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, what was the name of your teenage garage band? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think we, I don't think we ever got that far. Okay. Out of name. <laughs> Were you self-taught? Um, self-taught for the most part, yes. Okay, so when by the time we get into the late seventies, what you know, and you're out of high school and and stuff, what kind of music were you were you into when you really started getting serious about playing in bands? Well. You know, I, I went to college at NYU and, you know, CBGB's was around the corner. So we started going to CB's and Max's and uh, those guys were all great. Um, you know, Ramones and Blondie and everybody. And met my uh, my roommate, Rick Brown. Uh, was he was my roommate in college. He opened my eyes to a lot of different things in music and... Uh, Actually, we started playing um, all together in the dorm's basement, uh, really banging on just about anything we could get our hands on. That eventually turned into a blinding headache. Okay, tell me about Blinding Headache's craziest street performance. (laughs) Well, I don't know that they were... I mean, we we just... uh, And... I had to be talked into it, but uh, we, we all did it. We, we just walked out onto the street on 4th Avenue and started playing. Uh, I don't know that it was that crazy. It wasn't that big of a crowd. And don't know what people made of us, but uh, the, we, we met. It was fun. Yeah. Well, if I'm remembering right from what Robert told us when we talked to Robert, Blinding Headache's MO was to play in weird places. Yeah. Um, my, you know, I had the good. Uh, I've, and I've had the good fortune of playing with great musicians my my entire career. I don't know how I manage it. Um, and uh, Rick and and Jim uh, managed to get us on. Well, yeah, you know, we got on a bill with Mars and at um, Irving Plaza, which wasn't that weird. And then we uh, we played in the lobby of 
uh, Irving Plaza during New Wave Vaudeville. And, um, yeah, I mean, we wasn't, the, I mean, we played on rooftop parties and, uh, uh, and, uh, Jim and Rick, uh, got us onto the Intermedia, the, uh, Zoo Manifestival. And that was just a matter of, uh, they walked in and, and, uh, said to Giorgio Gamelski, uh, we should be on this bill. And he was like, oh, I've been looking for you guys. Giorgio is just amazing. <laughs> Uh, a char- quite a character and, and always, I mean, he wasn't looking for us, but uh, he just, I think he just was amazed that these two guys had the guts to walk up to him and say we should be on the bill. And he was like, oh yeah, of course. He must have been a real man about town. I feel like every New York musician we've spoken to that was around in the 80s, his name comes up. Uh, he was great. He was really, uh, I mean, I, 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 he had a great, little club over on um 24th street that we played at many you know several times uh we actually opened once for uh nico and he was just uh, he was just yeah he was great fun he was just you know i was always amazed he put up with us i mean it was just like all right fine you know he but he he did it was just no he was no questioned either it was no you know he was just great Okay, do you know how you met Chris Nelson and Robert Sietzema? How did I uh, meet them? Oh, well, I met Chris um, at a Dead Boys concert uh, in the basement of uh, the Weinstein dorm at NYU. Um, Robert, I met through Rick. I believe they worked at a publishing company together. And Elliot Sharp? Elliot. How did we meet Elliot? Um, you know, that is a good question. I don't, it just seems like he was, once we got into the, the, um, the music scene, uh, he was around and we, you know, I'm not exactly, I don't remember ex- the exactly meeting him, but, uh, uh, like I say, I've, I've just been super fortunate to, play with him and people like him i don't i i kind of stumbled into it i think yeah so as far as you know blinding headache goes it seems like you kind of found a a home within that no wave scene by the time mofungo uh, or the band i guess kind of evolved into mofungo where what kind of bands were you playing with like you know with mofungo i mean like did you fit in with that downtown new york scene at all that elliot was kind of worked in a little bit as well i think so i mean yeah i mean we played a lot of different gigs i mean and mafungo ended up just being kind of a a a band that a lot of people played in uh robert and i were the only two members that made it through the entire run and uh, a lot of you know we had jeff mcgovern in it uh people don't know my our dear friend Seth, who who had to drop out because of schizophrenia, you know, and uh, AC was she was great, and it just it, it never I, I I don't it was kind of the type of thing we would just anybody would play with us, and we you know eventually be in the band. Okay, uh, fast forwarding then, by the time you get to the work album, did you know this was going to be the last? 
Mafungo album, or did the unreleased album come? Uh, was that recorded after work? That was recorded after and huh. and and never released. We did not know. Uh, we were. Um, it was. I, I'm not really sure how we we broke up. We'd been together for ten years, and you know th- things happen. What can I say? Yeah. Well, some bands just run their course, especially after ten years. That's a that's a pretty long run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was recorded at Baby Monster Studios by Steve McAllister. Um, no dates listed. Do you know how long you would have been in the studio? Like, was it a, a days? Was it spread out over a couple months? Probably n- no, not over a couple of months. We would we would have done it pretty quickly, mm-hmm. over a couple of weeks. You know, our budget was not that big, so we we generally recorded things pretty quickly. Yeah. Any recollections at all about being in the studio? You'd worked with with Steve McAllister previously on the Frederick Douglass LP, I believe. I don't have a ton of God, Baby Monster Studios. I'm trying to place it. I, I it was a long time ago. Um and I we were probably smoking a lot of pot. Um <laughs> Okay, well how about this? How much experimentation do you think was going on in the studio? Like was everything you hear on this record was it more or less planned before you went into the studio? No, I mean for the most part, but we would always, you know, get an idea and 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 put it down. And that was the time when, you know, we had Elliot with us at that point and Elliot was a studio master, so um a lot of things and he may have planned it, but yeah, we were picking up things as we went along. But you know, we had the songs. Mm-hmm. Was did he rehearse with you on a regular basis? He he would rehearse a bit. Um, we would we would mostly rehearse the songs, write the songs, and then he would come and lay his part down. He figured it out a lot quicker than we did. Um, you know, I I'd have to practice something. Uh, many more times than him he would he he knew what he was doing he what was the songwriting process did you write a lot together as a group at the rehearsal space or were you know was somebody bringing in you know complete songs we we would do different things we would either we sometimes we would jam pull up and take a piece i would write some things uh and work i don't think i wrote all that much i have a couple of couple of songs that i but these were mostly collaborations. I did. I did do. I did write several songs. And most of the most of the time, Mafunga, the songs I I sang, I wrote. Um, not all the time. And this album, this album, not in particular. Okay, can we talk about the tracks a little bit? I know we're going sure. back a ways, but we'll I'll pick your brain a little bit. So the first track is "Once It's Gone." Um, definitely some weird time signature stuff going on. I'm assuming that's you with kind of the cleaner picked guitar on that one. Yes. And and you on vocals as well? Yeah, that's me on vocals, sir. Okay. Uh, we've talked on the Bugged episode about kind of the social justice or like left-leaning politics of the band, but this song kind of brings in environmentalism. Yeah, well, I mean, we we were always kind of, we're that's basically, you know, our agenda was, our agenda was kind of a left, leftist agenda um i think it may have held us back in some respects but you know that was what we were writing about what we were concerned with 
do you mean like you know the more overt stuff like the um communist party uh imagery and stuff like that did did you ever get shit for that <laughs> i don't know if we got shit for it but we uh i'm not i'm not, I'm not sure it endeared us to people um not tongue-in-cheek though like you 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 were living it i'm assuming well you know we were we were yeah we we're angry young men like were you active in environmental causes um as much as i could be i mean i i don't know that we did you know did what we could i i can't say that i was um you know i wasn't cleaning yeah we did you know certainly went down and cleaned beaches or whatever but you know i i, I how much we could you really there's always a bit of frustration on how much you can do yeah i mean even musically though were you did you play like protest rallies or anything like that yes um we were great we opened for peter paul and mary um at a rally in front of the un uh, when during the uh when the el salvador war was going on hmm. And we happily we we did a benefit for the uh, Minutemen at one, uh, uh, well the Weathermen at at, at uh, one point or oh so. yeah yep okay um, the next song is two New York minutes slash voting is for suckers and is that who's that on vocals for that one um I it's me I think I think all of us are on that. Uh, but I'm in the beginning and the end, mostly singing it. And then, uh, Chris sings the middle part as I remember. Okay. Lyrically, what can you tell me about, about that song? Well, it was, uh, we were not all in agreement that, uh, voting is for suckers. Um, uh, Robert was more insistent that that was, it was a mistake to try and vote. I, I have to, uh, and I have voted in every election since I turned 18. Uh, but it was, it's a point of view and, you know, electoral politics. Well, yeah. yeah. What can you say? I mean, yeah. Well, you, you can have a, has happened. you can have a song <laughs> like that without necessarily advocating for or against it. Right. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of politics, the next one, Panama Day. I'm assuming that's something to do with Cold War politics of the of the era. Yeah, that was uh, the various invasion, well, invasions and uh, interference in South America that we've and Central America that we've always done. It's not uh, the the if you see something in your radar, shoot it down. Who's that? Well, that was that was uh, when we shot down the Iranian air, airline. And and who's who's saying it on the recording? Uh, that's Robert. Uh, the song Labor Day. What was the band's kind of involvement in organized labor? Well, uh, Robert um, was certainly involved in some union organizing. Um, I'm not sure if they were ever successful at his at his employment. And the song we were actually we actually had a gig on Labor Day. We wrote it for that. Ah, did you use tape loops? It sounds like there's some it's either backwards guitars or some, some tape loops on this song. Uh, now you're asking me something I probably don't remember. I'm thinking tape loops. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of before sampling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The next one is memory. Now that's an Elliot song. 
like what was Elliot's status in the band? You know, you mentioned that you practiced without him. Did you do shows without Elliot as well? We did a tour without him. Uh, I mean, when he, like I say, he, he didn't practice with us all the time. We write the songs and he would overlay onto them. When he was free, he would play with us and he did, he played most of our gigs in New York. It was just one time when we went out of town, a couple, he, he couldn't join us, but we were, you know, when we could, we had him. It's an interesting song. It's, um, you know, it's written by Elliot Sharp, but it's one of the more straight ahead tracks on the, on the record. I, I feel like Elliot was getting his rock band Yaya's out playing with Mofungo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, obviously Elliot is a, uh, really experimental guitarist and, uh, he is a great guitarist and he wanted to show off his rock job rock and roll chops and our band you know he could do it with with mafungo and kind of that i guess that was the way to do it i yeah. mean <laughs> i'm assuming that's him playing the the rock god guitar solo on, yes. on memory all right the next one is big mac attack kind of an epic takedown of the golden arches long before it was fashionable <laughs> <laughs> well uh, yeah, and I, I think Robert wrote most of the lyrics on that, um, and uh, his his hatred of McDonald's goes way back. <laughs> <laughs> is that him on vocals? I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next one is New West. Um, I'm assuming that's you on the with the wah guitar? That's me, yes. Yep. And the, the spoken word vocal? Yes. Okay. Some of the lyrics in this, are they a reference to the cover art? Like talking about the petroglyphs? Right, and Robert actually wrote the lyrics to that one, as I remember. And it, he was kind of, in, he had visited out there and was inspired. What what actually is that on the photo? And where is it? That uh, That is petroglyphs, but I'm not sure where. I think, believe it's in New Mexico. Do you know, did somebody from the you know, connected to the band, take the photo specifically for the cover. Or did you find it somewhere? Robert took the photo, I believe. Ah. Um, and then the, we're flipping it over and we've got toadstool. seems like it's carrying on the, the lyrical theme from new West a little bit, talking about nature and, and protecting it. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Our, um, yes. Yeah. Common theme for us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, fattening frogs for snakes. Do you know where you knew this song from? You, you're known for, you know, doing a lot of folk and blues covers. Right. Uh, uh, punk folk. Um, uh, Elliot brought that in, wanted to do it. And we were of course happy to do it. Robert brought in a lot of our, uh, folk stuff. Um, I brought in most of the, uh, Woody Guthrie stuff, which didn't make it onto this album, but Yeah. Did you ever play shows where you only played folk and blues covers? No, no. we didn't. No. Uh, probably would have been a good idea at some point to do that. but uh. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, the next one's Money Craving Folks. See, seems like kind of an obscure an obscure track. Yeah, and that, that is a, that's, a, that's a cover. Yeah. Um, and uh, Robert brought that one in. That's Elliot, I'm assuming, kind of um, approximating a slide guitar somehow. <laughs> yes, it's Elliot, yeah, me on vocals. 
Yeah. Um, do you know, like, what kind of guitars was Elliot playing? Like, did he play his double neck in, in Mofongo, or is it mostly, like, more just regular guitars? Mostly regular. Um, I mean, Elliot brought in a new guitar every half the time. Um, and a lot of times he had a um, Steinberger he used just because he was, he was, he would come to our, you know, come to the rehearsals, take the lightest guitar he could bring. Right. A uh, little bit different on our when we were recording, but he has he. Um, if you look at his Instagram, he's making and modifying his guitars all the time. Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering how he got some of these sounds. Like, did he have a big pedal board? Do you know? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the next one is scrape. Might just be the the sax making me think of the downtown scene on this one, but um, you know, definitely got me thinking about that. Do do you? Did you play at those clubs also, like, you know, the kitchen or the knitting factory? Uh, we had a, a, at least one or two gigs at the kitchen and, pro, and the knitting factory. Um, a lot of those played. We, we played all those places. Nothing like Tier 3, where we played quite, quite often. Yeah. It's a shame that place didn't last that long. What was it? Tier 3? Yeah. Well, it was kind of an extension. We had a um, there. There was a underground kind of dance and uh, uh, performance space that moved around. We rented a basement on St. Mark's and had basic charged like three or four dollars and had a t- bathtub full of Paps Blue Ribbon and and played usually have a band ahead and then dance uh dj all night hmm. uh but we did get thrown out of those places because it was obnoxious right. um <laughs> and so the uh equipment that was bought sort of ended up at tier three that um perry had bought the uh a lot of the audio equipment and he convinced them to start hosting rock bands and that was a great scene for a couple of years. What about art galleries? It seems like that was kind of a, a, a place a band like Mofungo could probably get gigs. Um, I don't remember playing any art galleries. Hmm. Um, we were, we played, I can say tier three, we played CBGB's quite a bit. There was a, uh, yippee, uh, sort of squat, we played at uh, several times that was on third street. The next track is the Minutemen cover, uh, a perfect cover for Mofongo. Um, you played with the Minutemen and probably Firehose. I'm, I'm guessing. Yes. Um, probably at CBGB's. And I mean, D Boone kind of fit in with that, that history of the, you know, the protest singers. Yeah. And you know, and we had the, uh, we, we were uh, out of the SST and we were able to, get on their bill which was great mm-hmm. we had the sst basically we had that connection through elliot also right um, the american way almost like a credence clearwater revival type of of groove going on there and i'm reading the lyrics as being like uh, anti-capitalism yeah well anti-capitalism was a recurring theme for us um <laughs> and the the plight you know it, how you know middle class just get screwed over and it has not changing mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, like you, you hear so often with a lot of lyrics that were topical 30 years ago, not much has changed sometimes. Yeah. And not really. I mean, I, I, like I said, we've, I used to bring in Woody Guthrie songs and, uh, uh, you know, the deportee. Yeah. Look what's going on right now. Yeah. yeah. It was going on then it was yeah. continues to go on. Never stops. Okay, the last one, space filler, I feel like that's kind of got a double meaning, like it's filling up space at the end of the album, but there's also a bit of a, a space theme to it? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> who's, the, who's the alien voice? Who, I, I, you know, I was listening to it and trying to remember. I, I think that was a recording that we just, that Robert got and just played over it. So you listen to the record. Um, what'd you think of it? Where does it fit for you in the Mofungo discography um that's a good that's a good question i i you know i'm i'm always it's oh it's always hard to, for me to listen to our stuff and be objective i always had a hard time listening to it after we had recorded it too it was kind of like i just spent all this time on it i just i can't i have to get away from it right uh but i i thought it was good um I don't think it was our strongest album, but... Okay, do you know um, why the next album went unreleased? Was it just a matter of not having any label interested in putting it out? Well, yeah, I mean, well, we put out we put out things ourselves yeah. anyway. Um, and we really didn't finish it. It Unreleased doesn't have, we don't really have a full CDs where at that time, you, you know, it was kind of, if you don't have an hour put on a cd you don't really have enough it's kind of cheating to have people buy it and that so putting it up on Bandcamp was yeah um do you know how much longer the band went on for after this came out in 89 not that much longer it, by the you know by 91 or 92 we had we had called it quits mm. You mentioned some touring without Elliot. Was that would that have been before work or afterwards? That would be before. Mm -hmm. No significant touring after work came out that you can recall. No, no, we didn't tour very much at all. Yeah, probably a mistake. But you know, I, it was uh, we were never very good at the business for part of it. <laughs> uh, do you know anything about this being released specifically in Japan? No, no. <laughs> I didn't know it was released in Japan. <laughs> okay, you kept playing with Chris in Corn Dogs and later in Escape by Ostrich. Tell me about those projects. Um. Well, I was still playing in Escape by Ostrich, and play the occasional gig. I can't say we play very often, and of course, pandemic happened and basically shut down. Shut down a couple of places where we were able to get gigs. What does the band sound like? I can't say it's a whole lot different than Mofungo. Um, I mean, my vocals, I, I, I still sing most things. Um, mm -hmm. And we do play some Mofungo songs. So, oh. Any plans to do any recording or anything? You know, uh, we were talking about it. We're talking about it. We've, I've, we've actually made several... <laughs> this, We've actually had several albums worth of material that we have recorded and never put out. Oh, um, it's, it seems personnel changes, and then we don't 
decide, well, you know, now we're completely different, so right. we'll have to record again and <laughs> then never put it out. I, I've been thinking that actually I should put some of this stuff up on Bandcamp, yeah. so at least is uh, even if there's no physical release, it's, it just gets put out there. Yeah, love to hear that. What about more Mafungo stuff up on the Bandcamp? Any chances of that happening? Um, yes, there is. Uh, I've been trying to get more stuff up there, and my I I kind of screwed up my I don't I, I don't we yeah, have I mean the stuff is all on reel to reel. Um. So what I want to do is rip it off my turntable, and I have kind of screwed up my setup for that. So, uh, but I'm uh, a friend of mine is about to is um, ripping up uh, out of line hmm. uh, to put up. I'd like to put them out. My plan always was to put them all up on Bandcamp. Yeah, I just a matter of uh, my own lameness that it hasn't. Uh, gotten up there i can't make it i I can't make real excuses i just haven't gotten it together yeah well work is up there so at least people listening to this episode can can hear that so that's that's good work is up there and our first release is up there uh end of the world so they can hear the the beginning and the end of the band yeah the beginning (laughs) and the end the end and the end (laughs) right on willie thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today i really appreciate it oh thanks for talking to me and thanks for having me on it's always uh Fun to talk about things that happened uh, 30 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So cool that we had Robert and Willie on since we've only got two occasions with Mofungo. Very, very fortunate. And to your point, Brant, earlier on on in the show when we were talking about Spot, I mean, it's important to get this stuff down, you know, And, and not like we are, you know, the only ones, but, uh, hopefully can, uh, continue a bit of the mofungo story and turn people onto this record which as i said also at the outset of the show i'm not sure five years ago or whatever my ears would be quite as ready for this one yeah, but i was we've worked I, our way up to up to mofungo i, I know right <laughs> i i got super clerical over the last five years and uh man i was just digging it yeah me too um well, the most important aspect of documentation is the music, in my opinion. Um, and uh, Willie told me today, actually, about an hour before we started recording, he, he said our chat inspired him to, to put more of their catalog up on the band camp. So, ah, perfect. Yeah. Work is already up there, so if people don't have this, you can hear it on the Mofungo band camp. But he, he said uh, he, he's hoping to get the entire discography up there, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. There's no time like the present. Yeah. His band, Ryan, Escape by Ostrich, which Chris Nelson plays <laughs> bass in. You can see some videos up on YouTube. They're super cool. I hope they, they put something out. I feel like the comparisons to Talking Heads are largely due to kind of the funky sound and also Willie's vocals. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to get into this record, Ryan? Yeah, man. History Lesson, Part 2. So this was recorded at Baby Monster Studio in New York City, and we've seen it before. Most recently on, or I think the only place we've actually seen it is on Elliot Sharp's Hammer, Anvil, and Stirrup, which he recorded at Baby Monster and um, with uh, the same engineer, Steve McAllister, mm-hmm. um, who I'm assuming was was the house engineer. Steve was um, also a bassist in a hardcore band, 
Damage, who released a pretty intense album in 1984 called Sins of Our Fathers, which was engineered by E-Sharp live at CBGB's. Wow. I think a board recording, actually. Elliot used the studio a bunch, um, Baby Monster. Many great albums were recorded there. Some of the, the Tree Sweet Oblivion was done there. The Ramones' Adios Amigos was done there, their last studio album. Prong, Nice Strong Arm, Universal Congress of recorded there. Corrosion of Conformity, Doughboys, some of Ballhog or Tugboat was done there. Some of Dinosaur Juniors Without a Sound, tons more, uh, and, and many by Steve McAllister. I asked Robert uh, some questions. I asked him about uh, Baby Monster and what he remembered about it. He said, after having worked for years at BC Studio in Guanas, this was a bracing new experience. I remember more the location of the studio, which was on a darkened stretch of West 14th Street in an in an area of discount stores. This seems like a studio that, you know, deserves a, uh, you know, a smart studios-esque type of book or documentary. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the status of it is. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's not still operational. Yeah. Uh, this was released in 1989 on CD, LP, and cassette. Uh, it's got three covers on it, which we'll talk about when we get to the tracks, but otherwise all tracks are credited to Mofungo, the band, and it was produced by Elliot Sharp. And a CD version released in Japan? I think you were referencing well, that during the interview, right? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. It kind of looks like it, but I don't know. <laughs> Hard to tell. I could see why you would release a Mofungo record in Japan, though. Well, I think Elliot was pretty popular in Japan. Okay, track one, side one. Once it's gone, now, how to describe this? It's kind of this off-kilter, I don't know, chiming thing with the title just repeating, but then it just shifts time signatures, which it does a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, shifts on a dime, and then Elliot's kind of just doing his thing. You know, the lyrics, the forests are gone, the ozone is gone, the oceans, the earth is dead. Um it's a weird but cool two-minute song that just opens the album and, and lets you know you're in for a ride. Yeah, I had a hard time classifying it too, and for many of the songs. And I ended up kind of grasping for something through the lyrics. It does have like guitar effects that sound like lasers. And it's it's an intense but catchy song. I, I kind of was thinking when it says... You know, once it's gone, it never comes back. It starts talking about your limbs, your heart in one section. And then it starts talking about the forests, the ozone, the oceans. It struck me that the point it's making is that we're all connected to nature, right? You yeah. lose lose any of that. It's like losing the ocean. It's like losing an arm and obviously way worse, you know? Yeah, I don't usually focus on lyrics too much. I'm not a lyrics guy, but I mean... You have to on this record. You kind of have to, A, because like you said, it's hard to talk about the music and B, um, you know, they were doing interesting stuff lyrically just because of their their politics, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a big part of the band. Track two, two New York Minutes slash Voting is for Suckers. So just going off the lyric sheet, I get the impression that this is kind of two songs. Mm -hmm. The standing on a cliff, one leg with your eyes closed, that's on the lyric sheet is just called New York Minute. Um, it's neither a New York Minute or two New York Minutes. It's like 47 seconds, that, that part. Well, it is It is like the intro and, and the outro to the song though, right? Oh, is it? Okay, I missed yeah, yeah, the outro yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a four count, you know, at about 40, 
47 seconds in, and then that's when voting is for suckers kind of takes off. Really difficult to describe what happens after that four count, four count. I have no clue how you write something like this, much less perform it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if you played this for someone who just listens to, you know, mainstream music or whatever, they would say that this probably say that this is just noise, but it's not. It's very deliberate. Unlistenable is what a lot of people would probably say. There are a lot of reviews of this record that I read that really dismiss it as as difficult to listen and it is difficult to listen to but it is worth your time like this song for example like the voting is for suckers um movement if i can call it that yeah um it it you are off kilter it is atonal but then it kind of resolves into getting back um i don't know if you call it a reprise of the standing on a cliff component um and it's it's super cool i just loved it yeah, I asked Robert if he really thought voting is for suckers or if it was just tr him trying to be provocative or whatever. And he said, it's only partly tongue-in-cheek. Voting seemed like a bad way to foment change, and it still is. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But sometimes it's all you got. Yeah. Okay, the next one is Panama Hat. They really do some inter interesting stuff with the time signatures. Um I think it's Willie going, who wants to murder Iranian citizens? Who wants to murder Angolan citizens? And then Robert just screaming, if you see something in your radar, shoot it down. Even if it's a civilian airliner, shoot it down. Uh, these are references references to Iran Air Flight 655 shot down on July 3rd, 1988. So, you know, about a year probably before this came out uh, by a guided missile fired by the U.S. Navy. Yeah, definitely some... Uh conspiracy theory imperialism lyrics um but really really great elliot guitar as well on this track like i can see why dave lang would say that this is a really strong elliot record because it is his yeah. guitar playing is insane yeah uh the next one is labor day i think the idea is that it kind of lyrically is a look back at the the history of a trade unionist like through his career like Jimmy joined a union in 1933, then helped build the Ford Pavilion in 63, worked his way up to foreman at the World Trade Center. Yeah, makes a lot of sense on an album called Work. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there, there's um, lines like The Towers, Cold and Vengeful, obviously makes you think about the fact that the, the towers are no longer there. Mm. The next one is Memory, and this one's credited solely to... Elliot, he told me that he wrote this in 1981, but he said it took a long time to find the right outlet for it. Like I say in the interview, interesting that the most straightforward rock song on the album was written by Elliot. Not sure what the song is about, but it's got an interesting kind of disjointed thing going on. It's a rock song, but Elliot, you know, Elliot just tears shit up. Uh, it fits on the album super well. Um, I like how he's kind of picking the chords in the verses. Yeah, even though it's straight ahead, it still has, you know, the intro section is a waltz, yeah. which is is unusual in, in a rock song. It actually kind of reminded me of the Coffin Break song Mind Waltz from their 91 album Crawl on Epitaph. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, that is like very, very similar type of uh, waltz structure there to kick off the song. Okay, the next one is Big Mac Attack. This one's like Mofungo does country or something. 
Uh, Willie describes the band as folk punk or, or something in the interview. Um, even when they're doing, for me, folk or blues covers, I don't really think of them that way. Um, now, I wonder if there was any overlap between these guys and anti-folk. Yeah, maybe. I, I wouldn't even know what to call Mafungo if somebody asked me what kind of music they play. I'd probably just say art rock or avant-garde rock mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. The lyrics to this are hilarious. It's all about Ronald McDonald. Like, his burgers caused a million heart attacks. He exploits his workers, mainly young, brown, and black. Yeah. He wants to harvest Big Macs for you. Yeah. The lyrics are just amazing in this song. Yeah. Just amazing. And not just hilarious and amazing, but also staunchly political, right? Cattle now graze where jungle should be. Yeah. A super, like, like treacherous-esque environmental theme in this record I found too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like Good. these, I, like if these guys were on a bill with treacherous jaywalkers, that would make a ton of sense. Yeah, it definitely would. Uh, the next one is new West Elliot scrunking it up on sax. Uh, some killer wah guitar from Willie. This one's a highlight for me. Um, high up on the cliffs, handsome petroglyphs made by Indian hands. Petroglyphs are, are carvings made into rocks. For sure, a reference to the cover art, I would say. I can't help but have this track remind me of like 1970s Miles Davis. Um, It just really gave me those types of vibes. And for sure, the lyrics are about the uh, the pristine nature of the desert and indigenous artwork and how it can just be ruined without a care in the world. Yeah. For capitalism, you know? Yeah. Flipping it over, um, Toadstool. Again, super weird time signature that I, I just can't wrap my head around. Elliot's solo is killer in this. It's just an interesting song. I was walking around all week just going, take me home to your ho- toadstool. <laughs> some cowbell action in this track too. Yeah, and some tapping from Elliot for sure. Yeah. Fattening Frogs for Snakes, a Sonny Boy Williamson cover. Uh, Robert says definitely Elliot brought this one in. Uh, Sonny Boy Williamson released this song as a 45 on the Checker label in 1957. Um, it's it's really good. That version, or his version, I guess, is original. It's like got that early Chicago blues sound. He's just honking on the bobo on it. Uh, the cover is just okay for me. I'm trying to remember back to Bugged and their earlier albums. I definitely, I think, prefer the originals. I mean, it's cool that they, they chose these these types of songs to cover. Yeah, it's their own unique take on the blues for sure. Yeah. And there's a like kind of an amazing train wreck ending to the song too, yeah. which goes right into the the next track almost. Yeah, the next one is Money Craving Folks by Blind Alfred Reed. Uh, he was a Virginian, mainly active as a musician in the Depression era. His most famous song is How Can a Poor Man Stand Such Times and Live, which has been covered by Bruce Springsteen, Ry Cooter, and many others. This was a B-side to the single for that song, uh, Money Craving Folks, um, in 1930. I prefer this to the other cover for me. Uh, weird that they seem to like to sequence these covers together. They did that on on Bug, too. Yeah. Cool cool slide guitar on a, on a folk song about capitalism. Again, like, totally just fitting the theme of this record and the politics of the band. Yeah. The next one is Scrape. This song's like a minute long. Elliot's sax kind of makes it a bit more interesting than it would probably otherwise be. Mm-hmm. I love the sax on this track. Yeah, me too. 
It's a good interlude. Okay, the most interesting cover is the next one. It's the Minutemen song themselves, written by D. Boone. Really interesting take on this Minutemen song. They change the chords just slightly in the chorus. Definitely make it their own, I would say. You know I love the dive bombing on the whammy bar, too. Yeah, it is a great cover. And yet again, I mean, totally fits the theme of this album. Yeah. The next one's The American Way. This is the one that was making me think of CCR a little bit. They don't publish the the lyrics for this one on the on the insert, but it's definitely a screed against capitalism and the supposed American dream. For sure. It's about uh it's catchy and it continues the overall theme of the record, but and but just when you are getting into a groove in this song, they knock you right off your toadstool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Space Filler is the last one. It's definitely got the, the double meaning, I would say. It's four and a <laughs> yeah. half minutes of filler at the end of the album. Uh, but it, you know, it's got this this sample. Uh, Willie wasn't sure what it was, but I asked Robert and he says, it was a child from my building, the son of somebody or other who consented to make up a story on my tape recorder. And then the song itself was improvised based on that sample with the track's being a backing for for this sample yeah it's about visitors from outer space yeah it's a cool way to end the record mm-hmm. i asked elliot just for kind of his thoughts on 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 the work album he said the band was in an enraged mode which definitely manifests in the music and sound very topical perhaps a touch didactic at times but not simply sloganeering there's thought and analysis and they're part of a long tradition of American political commentary in song. But there's also an undercurrent of humor, which the critics seem to miss completely. Mofungo and The Scene Is Now were both delving into Americana long before it became trendy, and Willie Klein is still one of the great rock singers, with Chris Nelson right up there. Listening back, I realize how much the sound was shaped by the engineer and his use of gadgets of the day especially digital reverb, I would mix it quite differently now. That's Elliot? Yeah. Wow, man. He can really just nail it in five sentences, hey? Yeah. I actually thought the recording didn't sound dated at all compared to... It doesn't... To, no, no. Not compared would, to others we've heard. No, it doesn't sound as dated as Elliot makes it out to seem for me as well. I, I actually quite like the, the sound of this record. Yeah. The cover art, Ryan, um, it says, Album Design, Elliot... Sharp and Robert Sitsema, photograph by Robert, and it says Native American petroglyphs south of Galistio. Is that how you say it? New Mexico? Oh, don't ask me. I think you got <laughs> you got about as good as I can get it. Galistio, yeah, maybe. That makes Gal- more sense, yeah. Galistio, New Mexico. Robert told me it was taken after climbing up a cliff in Galistio, New Mexico, southeast of Santa Fe, where my brother-in-law, David Van Dick, lived. The petroglyphs are of the Pueblo people and date to an era of 4,000 to 8,000 years ago. And the hands seemed like a good fit for an album called Work. Mm. What I love about the the cover is how when you flip it over, like it's a close-up of the rock, and then when you flip it over, you see the whole view from that cliff. It's quite the photo. Yeah, I'd agree. And the front cover kind of reminded me of the DC three record. This is the dream with that up close coral. Yeah. 
yeah. it's that up close photo that uh, kind of takes on different meaning when you're looking at it so close. And then, as you point out, when you flip it over and you see it in context of its overall surroundings, it's pretty insane. It's too bad there's a highway there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the lettering, like the colors and the lettering. It's super cool. Insert art by Hugo Gellert, 1939. He was an, a Hungarian-American illustrator and a radical communist. Uh, many art critics consider his work as some of the best political artwork of the first half of the 20th century. Definitely some Communist Party iconography on the on the album. Oh yeah, for sure. It looks like something you would see in one of those communist, uh, those really kind of tiny communist uh, newspapers. Oh yeah, well he he drew covers for a lot of those. This Hugo Gellert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any dead wax on the LP, Ryan? No dead wax. Yeah. I loved listening to this record this week, man. Like, this is what I like doing about this show the most. Like, you know, we're coming up to Descendants in Joy. And I'm super pumped about that. It's one, it's, you know, I love the Descendants and that was a seminal record for me. And I'm looking forward to hopefully exhuming some, some, uh, nugs. Some enjoy nugs? Yeah. boy. But man, like, I just love, you know, getting doing a deep dive into this stuff that like, I'd never heard this record prior to this week ever. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I listened to it around the time of probably near when we were starting up this show and I had to fill some holes in my SST collection. I bought it and I, I'm pretty sure I listened to it and I, and I kind of went, eh, it didn't, it didn't really grab, it didn't grab me. You were like, no. what have I gotten myself into? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure I was quite that, dismissive but i just don't think it was like you know give me i would have been like give me descendants and joy instead yeah. of this one but i was totally into it as well very very surprising and grateful that we're doing this yeah ballot result yeah man ballot result i'm curious to hear what your picks are ryan i like new west the best oh, for yeah? sure i was yeah i was getting some cool like i said some cool uh Miles Davis vibes. I wouldn't put any cover songs on this. I don't know. I did like Once It's Gone too. I thought that that was a great opener. Just like the opener from last week with Trotsky, I thought the opener Once It's Gone was great on this record, but I don't know. I was digging uh, New West. And I mean, Big Mac Attack has got insane lyrics. I bet if you like did a graph with, you know, compiled all the data of how many times we've picked the first song on a record, I bet it's quite a few times. Probably greater than 50%, yeah, I probably. bet. Yeah. My favorites were Once It's Gone, Memory, New West, Toadstool, Themselves, and The American Way. We can do No West, though. You would go, you would actually put the cover themselves on, hey? Yeah, it's cool. I, I agree, it's cool. But I just, I feel like I would go with a Mofungo Ridge. For sure. <laughs> let's do New West. Yeah, are you sure? Yep. Okay, let's do it, man. I think and that, it's... that ends the next ballot result tape so next week we're starting a a new brand new blank tape i just need to like crack the seal on it okay well snap the tabs off this last one because yeah. we're not we're not going to record over this one that's right yeah okay and crack the cello on the next one make it a long one hey ryan thanks to elliot thanks to robert and thanks especially to willie klein i'm i think this is probably the last time we're going to see elliot sharp even on the label no way might Oof. be 
Might that's be. kind of that's kind of an end of an era, right? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and rest in peace, Spot. Hopefully you're snapping picks and roller skating wherever you are. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brent, we're going back to uh, a band we haven't had for a long time. It's SST 241, the Pell-Mell Rhyming Guitars 12-inch. And we've got a special guest. Yeah, we've got Bill Owen on the show. Right on. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.